Welcome back, everyone, to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Rich Pasqua, and joining us today, we are pleased to have Pat White, CEO and co-founder of Bitwave, a digital asset finance platform for enterprise solutions that helps mitigate complexity of digital accounting. Welcome, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is uh, it's great to be on, and this should be a fun, fun little podcast here to talk about uh, accounting and digital assets and all all things crypto. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, I've been researching you and your company, and you get you guys are doing a lot of great stuff. You have an actually amazing background as a software engineer, an architect. You've worked with Microsoft, Cisco pretty impressive and like real solid background. And now you're an entrepreneur. Um, and maybe you've been an entrepreneur for many times, who knows, but how I'm always curious to learn how people started their web three or crypto journey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've been, I've, uh, I've been in tech my entire life. It's funny. My, uh, yeah, you know, I, I I always joke about this. Like, I there's only two jobs I've ever wanted in life. I mean, one when I was like three years old, I wanted to be a paleontologist, and and you know sometimes I still think that might be better than being an entrepreneur every every now and again. Uh, and then and then when I was like six or something, I wanted to to be to do uh, computer businesses. I mean, that was always my entire life. So, uh, yeah, I've uh, worked on a number of, of startups. I've worked for a number of big tech companies. I I tend to like the little companies a lot more than the big companies. Uh, you just, it's so hard to make an impact. There's so much inertia at big companies that, that little startups are, tend to be a lot more fun and you can do a lot bigger things. Um, I got, I've been in crypto forever. So I, I got in crypto in, uh, let's say at this point, 2009, 2010. Uh, I have some code contributed to the Bitcoin core node. Like I, I got into Bitcoin very early on. I, I even remember, I mean, I actually, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I saw the Bitcoin white paper when it got posted up to Slashdot. So Slashdot was a, was a uh, tech news site back in the day. I, it's still around, but I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone uses it or reads it. Uh, but it, it was sort of the hacker news of its, of its generation. Uh, and someone posted the, the white paper and I, and I read it and I immediately loved it. It might have something to do with, uh, I just, I hate banks. <laughs> and so like, I've always, this, I've always really despised banks and, and sort of the way we, the way we, centralized monetary uh management in this country is is uh is terrible so i mean it's it's also i mean it's a it's a sort of an artifact of i always sort of poke fun of myself here but i'm a i'm a an early millennial and and part of that means that i've never been in a period where there was any purpose of having your money in a bank like in my entire life uh the where we are today is the highest interest rates i've seen in my entire in my entire like 40 years on earth it is the highest interest rate today. So there was no point in my life where there was any reason to ever have money in a bank other than every now and again, they'd charge you interest and, or they'd charge you fees and things like that. So I always hated banks. And so the first time I read the Bitcoin white paper, I, I really, it clicked with me. I really liked it. Uh, I had, I thought it really, it was a really clever solution to a hard computer science problem. So I'm a, I'm a computer scientist by training also. So it's, it's, that's a cool part about it is it was a really clever solution to a really, really hard computer science problem that, that is ultimately what Satoshi came up with. Uh, and I, and I started doing it, but unfortunately, like my entire career is mostly in enterprise software. And I'll tell you in, in 2010, uh, in, uh, 29, 2010, there were no enterprises using crypto. It was, it was all retail, it was all exchanges. It was, it was folks that were passionate about it. Like I was, but businesses were not touched with the 10 foot pole, except for a couple, there were a couple of businesses <laughs> like 
you know, one of the custodians at the time was Zappo. And that's a, it was a funny company. Like they're, I, I think they're still around actually, but back then they, they had this whole pitch where they had, uh, they bought one of the bomb shelters in Switzerland and they had this like air gap, you know, they had this, uh, you know, air, airlock system and they had an air gap machine where they kept all their keys. And it was this incredibly complex system. And I'm like, ah, that's not, and they had guys with guns and stuff. Ah, that's not really what, really what I want to do with my life. Like I, I like enterprise software. I like so- solving like hard problems. So. Uh, that's how I got into crypto. Yeah. All those, those years ago. <laughs> and then just, I just sort of followed it since then. I just, you know, kept up, bought, bought some Bitcoin. I, I remember when I had to sell, uh, the majority of my Bitcoin at one point in 2013 to, uh, to pay oh. rent one month, uh, which I think it was <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was like three, $3,000 of rent that in retrospect is like, yeah, I don't know, like $400,000 of rent I paid for that, for that uh, month. But, yeah. you know, it's, uh, that's part of the, the fun journey on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is a journey. And you brought up a ton of great points there. And I think it's important for people, you know, either whether you're in it just for a little bit or you're just getting started or whatnot, to understand kind of the, the road. It was, it was quite bumpy back in the day. Um, it was nerve wracking. It was new and it was crazy. And, you know, frankly, your journey started much like mine, probably a, a one or two years earlier, which is awesome. Um, and, and I read, read the white paper from Satoshi or the C- cypherpunks, whoever you choose to believe started that. I think you might <laughs> or be the a NSA. That's what I, I choose to believe the NSA wrote it, but that's okay. Yeah, that, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. That might be the truth. Um, but it is a, it is a great journey, and I, I I you know I I got into mining and building my own rigs, and I'm sure you did the same thing. Yep. Um, I think I read somewhere that you built a rig and then turned it into a gaming PC. I yeah. did the same thing. I yeah. bought uh, six GPUs, and then realized in New York it's not really um, profitable. Let's say yeah. <laughs> based on based on a lot of things in New York, yeah. uh, specifically the energy bills. Um, and then I, I tore it down and I built two gaming rig, two multiple PC game, you know, yeah. GPU gaming rigs for my son and I. Yeah, very, very similar uh, a journey. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I, you know, it's funny as I ran that until I, it was, I don't know if it was profitable, but I always had like a long view of it. I ran my rig, you know, the beginning when I first started it up, uh, I was, I think I was mining a Bitcoin a, a week or something. And then I, and then basically by the time I shut it down, not that long, like, let's say like three to six months later, it had already dropped to like one Bitcoin a year kind of thing. Like that's, yeah. that's how quick that tech changed. I mean, it went overnight. It went from, you could actually make, you know, cause back then Bitcoin was like 600 bucks or something. So like you could make like 600 bucks a week. I mean, that's like, that's like a good side hustle, right? That's not, that's yeah. not like full-time job. It's a fun little side hustle. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then overnight it suddenly, it just, pl- the actual product productivity just plummeted of the, uh, of, uh, of mining, of like running your own mining rig. And now, no, I think no one does it anymore except for validators. Y- yeah. Um, it, it exponentially like overnight, you're right. It, it just <laughs> kind of, the, the lights dimmed a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was, I was mining Ethereum and it, and it's great. And you, you brought up something else about your rent. And I, I think it's important to touch on this. And again, this is not financial advice, but it is okay to take earnings, yeah. right? It is, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I don't touch certain digital assets um, and I won't for a very long time. Um, but Ethereum, I, I would drip out 
for emergencies if yeah. needed, you yep. know, and it's there and it's really nice to have that cushion. Um, no, it's, it's you, money. It's a- I mean, at the end of the day, like you gotta, you gotta pay bills. You gotta do all this stuff. I, I think the thing that, again, not financial advice, I mean, I tend to be very cautious about people taking out, like I, I tend to be skeptical of people taking out big loans or mortgages to buy a crypto. I mean, crypto still is the, probably one of the most speculative assets that are, that are out there. I think everybody, everybody who is, who is a financial advisor will say that it's the absolute like tip of the spear, the single most speculative, uh, high risk asset you have is crypto. And then everything mm-hmm. else is kind of below that, you know, penny stocks are below that, <laughs> everything yeah. else. So it's, it's one of those things like it's, uh, you know, if you make money on it, spectacular. It's great to, to take profit on it. Don't, uh, don't put yourself into lifelong debt for it. That's not, you know, it might work out for somebody. It might not work out yeah. for you. And then just be very careful about that. Yeah. And, and timing is everything I've heard. Timing is everything. Horror stories of people, you know, you know, leveraging their homes or, or their savings accounts or retirement accounts to, yeah. to bump, bump this, you know, get a bump in the, in the game and get into it. Um, not the right thing to do, but, yeah, um, just, that's just me. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah, watch, now, watch out for your family, your family and your retirement first. And then, and then the fun crypto stuff. <laughs> yeah, e- e- exactly. But, um, you know, I'm a true believer. Uh, I do believe it's going to go, um, you know, things are going to go pretty, pretty high. Um, you know, I'm not going to speculate on here. People say, uh, I've heard other people say, you know, 40 this week, then a hundred and. 140 you know by the time by the summer or by next year so hey i'm in it for the right reasons and with that said do you do you actually you know do you feel that young people getting into crypto now truly understand how it started and and why it's there uh you know it's it's one of those things i don't think I, I don't think very many people at all really understand. Like, you know, it's, I, I tend to think back to some of the early, um, so the, one of the things I always think back to is the early, uh, block size debate within the Bitcoin community. And I, I think that very, very few people have a lot of context around that early debate, which then leads to like where we are today with this incredibly fractious set of different interests and, and, uh, uh, motivations and people who are in crypto today. Because even back then, I mean, it's one of those funny things that like, even back then, there was a lot of fracture in the community. You know, the block size debate happened in 20, 2015, 2016, something like that. But it, it had its roots in, in 2010 and 2011 with this, this long discussion about is, you know, is Bitcoin really a, uh, is Bitcoin really a source of a, a, a currency that you're going to be using on a day to day basis? Or is it something that you're going to put money into and, and save it there and store it there for a long time? And even the white paper, like I would, I, I tend to argue a lot about this, that, that even the white paper was internally inconsistent about whether or not it's a store of value or a, a tradable currency. And the, the basic reason for that is the white paper outlined a currency that was deflationary. And mm-hmm. like everything we know about economics from the last you know 500 years tells us that deflationary currencies don't get spent. That's the whole point of them. That's why you know governments work so hard to create inflation. And so it's like there's there even if you read the white paper uh, and and project it forward, every divide that we have today in crypto is directly related in my in my opinion in in many ways to early internal inconsistencies of the white paper. Like if, if Satoshi had come out and just written a white paper that was all about 
a spendable currency that was going to be inflationary and, and would encourage spending, or if he'd only wrote about a store of value where you wanted to be censorship resistant and incredibly, uh, uh, you know, hard for the government to, to to stop and all that kind of stuff. If he just wrote about one of those two things, you know, crypto itself's uh, foundations would have been a lot more about that. If he just wrote about payments, then crypto would have been a payment pro- a payment thing from the very very beginning. If he just wrote about store of value, it would have been that. Now, it's the the funny part about it is he wrote about both of those problems, and different people who had different perspectives on life picked up different parts of the white paper. Some people who hated banks really picked up on the store of value, and some people that that hated credit card companies really picked on the on the payment uh, piece of it. And that then mm. just led to more and more. That led to Ethereum versus Bitcoin. It led to every single like divide we ever had uh, came off of that. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure a lot of people really realize because everyone you pick your poison in this world. Like, is it is it decentralization? Is it cost? Is it is it self empowerment? Like, what is it that you like about crypto? And from the very very beginning, people took the white paper and picked what they liked about it out of the white paper. And that still happens today. People just pick what they like about crypto, and that's what they they tend to focus on. And uh, it's, it continues to be more and more fractious in some ways. Yeah. And we're seeing, you know, now we see major institute, you know, financial institutions jumping on board. I mean, I think it's a good thing. And it's, it's it, the question of, you know, what kind of asset is this is just ongoing and it won't stop. <laughs> Please stop. Someone make a decision. Um, you know, and it was funny to, to see, uh, you know, to see people just go on complete tears and rants that, you know, founders of specific uh, platforms and tokens going crazy over this stuff. And I, I, I agree with it. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I don't know what bucket I belong in. I think it's all of the above. Actually. <laughs> like I, it all. Um, Just like know, it I, all. I, I, I love it all. But what I, 2008 was eye-opening for me. To, you know, the, yeah. the bank collapses. That was eye-opening for, and that was the impetus Yeah. F- for for Bitcoin. And, I, and I'm not say, done being bitter about it. For what it's worth, like, I, I just listened to... Uh, the so I listened to Michael Lewis's new book on on SBF, and then that got me yeah. on a, a kick of listening to Michael Lewis books. So I went back and I listened to a few of his other books, and he had a he had a book uh, called Flash Boys, which is from which is about that 2008 time period. It's it's mm-hmm. about more than that. It's about high frequency trading in general. It's a, it's a really interesting book, actually. I mean, it's it's a book that probably could have been like a, a long blog post, but it is a really interesting book about the early yeah. days of of high frequency trading. And but one of the things that, that was in that book was the story about a Goldman Sachs engineer who got uh, arrested for allegedly kind of stealing code. And you read the book, and it's it's a it's a it's a sham job. The whole thing is complete BS. But mm-hmm. uh, it it part of what he talked about was how no one from the banking crisis went to jail. And he talked about like part of the book goes into real depth of how Goldman itself knew that a lot of the CDOs they were selling were were compromised, were underwater, were not going to be worth what they were. But they made money on the transaction fees and they made money trading against their customers. So they didn't care that it was underwater. And it's like right. it, it, that's like still to this day, I read about that time period or and I I still get upset about it. And that's you have to imagine that's part of what drove so many people in 2010 to just latch onto the white paper so passionately passionately because we're all so pissed that more people didn't go to jail from Goldman. Yeah. Um, definitely a wacky time. Um, and I'm uh, like, people say never forget. (laughs) I'm not not (laughs) forgetting that. 
Um, and for me personally, at the end of the day, what what crypto in general brings is truth, right? Undeniable truth. I mean, look at the world now. Look at e economics. Um, politicians can't even talk to themselves civilly, right? <laughs> Where is the trust? That's long gone. But through code and cryptography, you can have a bit of trust, a lot of trust. Um, and that's super important to me. And that's and that's oh. what the you know the banks that are getting into crypto now they don't care about decentralization they don't care about uh, heady goals around around empowering right. people in the third world to to control their own money like they don't yeah. they don't care about any of that kind of crap they sovereignty or yeah, yeah. No, that's not they're not in for that piece they're yeah. in it because they they have you know crypto and this is you know I mentioned this earlier like. The really hard computer science problem that Satoshi solved was around digital asset, was around the Byzantine generals problem, which, which distilled down is, you know, if you have a bunch of people that all hate each other, how do you kind of get them to work together? And like, how do you get yeah. them to come to some sort of, uh, uh, consensus? That's what he did really smart. And that, that describes the banks perfectly. Like banks have a Byzantine generals problem. If you look at Goldman versus JP Morgan versus like all the different banks that are, that are out there, all the hedge funds, they're all bitter, bitter rivals and bitter, bitter, uh, competitors. But at the end of the right. day, like they have to work together to sell. They like when if I sell you some stock, you and I have to work together to settle that deal if we're at the bank size level. So crypto, right. it's you know, blockchain technology is sort of the perfect solution there to like how do you how do you come to consensus between a bunch of people that can't stand each other, but do actually in fact have to work together to make to make real things happen here? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um yeah, it's it's a lot to take in and it's a lot to cover. It's a lot to kind of research and, and stay up to date on. So it's it kind of takes your breath away at times, but also gives you breath and, and life. So it's a good thing. Um, now let's jump into Bitwave, Pat, because it, this is super interesting. And I, I, I think you guys are kind of, you know, cutting the road for, for other organizations doing this and for financial institutions to really work in harmony, if you will. Uh, and stay perhaps stay out of trouble, right? So, can you give us an overview of of Bitwave? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bitwave was started with a really simple mission in in mind, uh, honestly, which is that you know I was in crypto for a long time, but I was also in enterprise software, and it occurred to me in you know 2010, 2011, somewhere back then, that if if crypto was successful and people started adopting crypto and paying paying bills of crypto and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there would be businesses would also have to adopt it. Like businesses themselves might have adopted it first, but even that was a little specious. Like it was always going to be like retail users and then businesses. And so there was sort of a, a key point there, a key insight, which was if if businesses are going to adopt digital assets, they are going to have a whole lot of problems that they run into because businesses are not used to to managing their own money like this. Like some businesses are used to managing inventory. Like you think about like a weed business, like some weed businesses yeah. have their own armored trucks to move weed around. Like, yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> there are some businesses out there that are kind of used to managing uh, something that has a lot of value like that. But most are yeah. not. And so we said, like, look, there's gonna be a whole bunch of problems that come up for these businesses. Like, let's start a company that that basically says, you know, we we are going to help solve the problems that businesses run into as they as they come across digital assets. And so obviously the first couple of problems that the, the big ones were accounting and tax, which is that it's it's actually incredibly complex to account for digital assets correctly on your on your books. And none of the big accounting products do it can handle it. So NetSuite, you know, QuickBooks, SAP, none of them can handle yeah. uh, accounting for digital assets out of the box. 
uh, they it, they all either require code or something else. And so we said, like, you know, what we can do is we'll be we'll be the bridge. We will be that bridge that sits between the digital asset, uh, the blockchains, your exchanges, whatever it is, your internal systems on this side, and then your accounting systems, your finance systems, your FP&A, treasury systems on this side. We're just going to bridge the gap between those two and, and make it possible for you as a business to take digital assets, uh, incorporate them into your business, recognize revenue, recognize expenses, get them into your ERP and make your auditors happy at the at the end of the year. Um, that then has has now grown to you know we as every every day we ask ourselves like well what problems are businesses running into today what problems are they running into today like every day we ask ourselves what problems are folks running into and we've continued to 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 solve more and more of those so we've recently launched our financial operations product which focuses on payments so this is saying like hey if you're going to be paying bills with crypto how do we how do we do that? Like, how do you how do you pay bills of crypto in an enterprise? How do you how do you make sure that the invoices get paid? How do you incorporate that with your your overall workflow that you as an enterprise are running for for invoice payments? Uh, how do you receive invoice payments? How do you make sure that you're getting paid what you expected to get paid? All that kind of stuff. We're looking more at treasury management. Like, how are how are treasurers at these organizations that have a lot of crypto handling it? What are they doing with it? Are they selling it? Are they buying it? Like, how do they hedge risk around it? All of that sort of uh, that sort of good stuff. Uh, and then, uh, and then there's, there's kind of more and more coming down the pike here. So it's, it's been fun for us to, to, we just get to look at all the different things that businesses are doing around crypto and, uh, and basically make plans and, and, uh, uh, work with it. It's really fun. Yeah. I would imagine your whole product team is just like every single day, there's something added or something you need to review or a yep. new regulation, whatever it may be. New, um, new chains, new capabilities on chains, new things that someone does we've never seen before. I mean, you, you, you name it, we've seen all of it at this point. It's, it is like, yes, every single day there is 10 brand new things to look at. Like right you now, there's blast is a new chain coming out right now. It's like you're keeping up on all this stuff. is It's super fun, but boy, oh boy, is it exhausting. I could, I could imagine, and I'm glad there are folks like you guys do, doing it um, because it, it is, it's overwhelming. Just even the news is overwhelming. <laughs> Forget about accounting; it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, for our, our listeners, just so they know, and it's, it's kind of important for me to tell, you know, for us to tell the audience, like, how many companies do you see? Like, what percentage of companies do you see handling uh, crypto? Uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because I think you, you have a lot of different buckets of companies out there. Like overall in the entire US, there's whatever, 50 to 100,000 companies, if not more. I mean, if you include like sole proprietors and stuff, uh, you can, that kind of narrows down as you as you go up the economic ladder to Fortune 2000, Fortune 500, Fortune 10. Uh, you know, I would say one thing that we'd like to say is that within the Fortune 500, there's not a single company that is not looking at digital assets and blockchain. Every mm -hmm. single one of them is looking at it for something, whether it be streamlining uh, invoices and payments, uh, supply chain management, uh, internal treasury and budget review cycles, like whatever mm -hmm. it is, everyone's looking at it for something right now. Uh, and we'll mm -hmm. see what happens over the next, like as as we kind of pull out of the bear market here and hopefully get into a little bit more of an exciting bull market. Like, and there's we're starting to see more adoption. We'll see what kind of happens from that. But you know, I think every single uh, uh, company in the Fortune 500 is touching crypto somehow. But none of I'd say there's less than probably probably less than ten to twenty actual companies in the Fortune 500 that that are doing anything demonstrable and material. They like really actually have enough crypto on their balance sheet that they need to use products like Bitway that they need to 
that they need to actually track it. Like that they actually have it as a material part of their business. So there's a long mm-hmm. ways. If you just take the Fortune 500, which I think is a, a good barometer for the overall business ecosystem, there's a long ways to go. Like there's a long ways to go. You know, outside that, there's, yeah, there's a couple of thousand companies that are crypto native or consulting firms or law firms that want to take crypto, whatever it is that are, that are out there. And that's all great. Those are, those are, you know, we love those. A lot of those are our customers, like the Open Seas, the Magic Edens, the Pudgy Penguins. We love these guys all to death. Uh, but they are, that's, you know, that they're not the fortune 500. They're, they're all going to be the fortune 500 in the next, like, you know, 10 years. And so it's like, how do you, you know, you, we still keep an eye on like, what does the overall enterprise market look like? And that's just, it's just still growing. Like it's still, still growing, uh, uh, and still very nascent, I think. Yeah. I mean, at, at 10%, you got a long way to long runway for you. Long guys. way that's, to go. That's awesome. Uh, and we'll, and it's, it'll be interesting to see because some of the account, the crypto specific accountants I've spoken to, um, they dabble in a little law because I think it all co- kind of coincides with a little bit of crypto accounting. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, y- you know, it's, it's just interesting to see kind of them helping out small investors w- with this. But I, I can see where you're, what you're saying here, fortune 500, small amount right now, but it's growing. I, I can't wait to see like average, you know, average size to small businesses getting involved. I can't see why, why not. And I would imagine some of the bigger companies, it's for speed and security, right? Yep. People who need to get funds over to their partners quickly. Um, now with that said, a little side, side thought here is, um, I don't know if you subscribe or like to Michael Saylor or anything else, but his message to, to, to businesses has been, you know, keep, keep some Bitcoin on your balance sheet. And, you know, one day he's a hero and one <laughs> the next day yeah. he's, you know, washed out. Um, <laughs> you know, personally, I, I, I like him. I, I think he's rooted in the core foundations of Bitcoin and cryptography in general. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What, I mean, not that you're advising yeah. people what to do with their money, but what are your thoughts? You know, at the end of the day, I I, I tend to be a, a real pragmatist on this stuff, and I think that you know where where someone like Sailor gets into trouble is that he's he tends not to be a pragmatist of it. That's his that's his shtick. Like his shtick is not to be a pragmatist. His stick is to be a, a maxi and to be a <laughs> uh, to be basically religious about about digital assets, and that's that's yeah. totally fine. Businesses can't be religious about digital assets as, as a general rule. Businesses as right. a general policy have to be incredibly uh, even keeled about everything that they that they basically do. And so that is that is to say that you never you never want to get uh, you never want to get religious about anything with a business, whether that be your product or your employees or whatever it is. You know, you mm-hmm. are you are building a, a business that, that you want to survive for a long time. You have to be adaptable and you have to be able to change at, at a glance and all of that. So I, you know, I, I, I agree at a high level that I think every business should have some digital assets on their balance sheet. Everyone should be, should be exploring it and figuring out what it is and seeing how it adapts to their business. Cause I think it will change. Most businesses will change in the next 10 years because of uh, the digital asset ecosystem. But uh, I don't think most companies should should take ninety eight percent of their balance sheet and put it into crypto. <laughs> I think that is a that's a very risky thing to do, and and most businesses should be you know more more focused on cash rather than uh, than uh, assets like that. So I don't know. It's I don't know. Maybe that's a cop out answer, but it's you know businesses need to be pragmatic. 
No, I mean, it. well said. I mean, it, 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 it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, you can't go full in because then if the bottom falls out, you're fully out. Yep. You know, you're no longer a player. Yep. Um, but boy, boy, they, micro strategies, Michael Saylor, brass balls, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got I to hand it to him. It's fun to watch. I mean, it gives me, you know, it makes your hair stand up. And he's done, he's done well with out. it. I mean, they obviously made a lot of money. Like they made a lot of money on Bitcoin. So yeah. it's, uh, if yeah. you can, if you can do it, that's great. But I mean, just know that that's, that's his business now is, is he's a, he's a hedge fund of Bitcoin. Uh, and yeah. if you don't want, if you don't want your business to become being a hedge, a hedge fund for Bitcoin, then, then don't put all your money into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you can't, you, you just got to, everything in moderation, right? Yeah, everything so, in moderation, um, there you go. Man, now, uh, jumping back into BitWave a little bit more, um, you know, we touched on this a little bit, Pat, um, but the idea of laws and regulations, so with crypto under, literally under a microscope, right? Uh, and, you know, I think of it as it's under a microscope being examined by people who, um maybe have half the knowledge <laughs> or maybe less than yeah. that uh, to, to actually make well, the right and, and hidden agendas and things like that. I mean, that's the issue with Congress, isn't it? It's not a knowledge gap, although that could be part of it. It's that it's that they're not, it's not voting your knowledge or your conscience It's voting your, your lobbyists and your, and your constituents. Well, less your constituents, more your lobbyists. But so it's, it's like it's Congress, the way Congress treats crypto is just so hard to tease apart because the, the web of, the web of uh, of uh, of alignment and incentives is just so incredibly difficult to see from outside the the sausage factory, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is about agendas, and it's also about you know, it is new. They know it's picking a massive, massive steam, right? Institutions getting involved, tons of individuals, and it's a hedge against a lot of things. Yep. And it's also they're trying to figure out how you can game the system. You can, <laughs> you, you can't really. I mean, you can, but they want to have an you know impenetrable defense against anything else. And I, I don't. That's not part of the that this well, whole. Well, it's world, just it's a different but, it's a different. Uh, level of diligence that they've brought to crypto than they would ever than they've brought to other uh industries or financial instruments. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, crypto is is a paltry nothing of a percentage of the worldwide crime dollars spent compared to the US dollar. The US dollar oh. is the number one the number one way that everything everything from terrorism to drugs gets funded is through the US right. dollar. And so, right. you know, it's it's is really that's that's where like the the agendas here become so interesting because you know, it's it's a really classic thing of like it's very easy to point at crypto and say, look at that thing that that you know everyone's using crime for. Yeah, you know, it's crime, mm. crime right there. It's really hard to point the U.S. dollar and say, boy, do we have a fundamental issue that people carry you know buckets of, or uh, briefcases of dollars across across state lines to pay for drugs? Uh, one is an easy problem, or one is a one is an attackable problem. One's a a problem you can rally people against, and one is is a completely intractable problem. And, uh, and so of course the, the politicians tend to look at the, 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 the more attackable problem or the, the one that gets you a little bit more buzz. Yeah. Cause you can track funds via the ledger. Yeah. There's an idea. Um, <laughs> um, and I love this, some of these stories like, Oh, it's like the, like the silk road, you know, no, the percentages are not there. It's, it's not even minuscule, not even, minuscule. The, not even the same league. 
Um, now, with that said, with all these things happening so quick, I mean, you open, you open Twitter right now and it's something probably will pop up. How do you keep your, well, and we touched on a little bit, your staff and your, um, and your clients up to date? Is it like, um, you know, you get legal notices from maybe your lawyer about law changes every month or so. How does that work? Gosh, what an interesting question. Uh, yeah, so we we have a big team that works with, you know, folks from these different agencies and the different groups that that all do this. We work with a ton of uh, the big four guys. We have a partnership with Deloitte. So, you know, what happens is accounting does move slow. You know, it's one of those things like people kind of joke about it, but uh, AS, you know, there's like some of the accounting rules that have been, you know, adopted over the last like 10 years for revenue recognition, you know, we're, we're 20 years in the making. And so the fact that like the, the accounting boards have actually kind of speed run getting uh, guidance for crypto accounting out is, is somewhat amazing, but they still do it slowly. Like they announce, they announce, uh, that they're going to have a meeting about it. They then publish notes about it. They then take, uh, input from people in the industry. They then not have another meeting about it, publish new notes. And there's this sort of like cycle that gets you to, that eventually gets you to a set of rules. So we take part in those those conversations. We we obviously we've built our product to be incredibly flexible. So it's one mm-hmm. of those things that like <clears throat> uh, no one really agreed on how to do any of this. When we started, no one agreed on how to do any of this stuff. So we built this incredibly flexible product that could pretty much do whatever you want to do, whatever you want to throw a Bitwave. We could more or less uh, handle from that side. So it was uh, <laughs> really easy. Uh, you know, when as new rules change and things like that, it's been pretty easy to adapt to them. Um, but it is, it's a really interesting, uh, problem space. And then you just have to have a lot of communication. I'd say the thing that we do that, that we are the best in the world at is, is we are incredibly focused on customer support and customer success. And that's, that's not, you know, there are companies for whom that's a strategy. So there's companies that, that really intentionally go after a customer support product, uh, you know, to, to be their lifeline. That's not really, that's not really my philosophy on it. My philosophy is a lot more that, Crypto accounting is so incredibly complex and changes so fast. If you don't have an open line of communication with your customers, you're just gonna you're just setting yourself up for a world of hurt. Like you really genuinely are uh, setting yourself up for a world of hurt here. So we we uh, just have really open lines of communication with our customers, spend a lot of time with them, and uh, make sure that they that they that they know what's coming down the pike, and they give us feedback on, hey, okay, well if the, if FASB does this, you guys need to do this, and then we're like, okay, great, we'll build that. So. A lot of communication. Yeah, all great points, Pat. Because uh, like I'm in in this <laughs> this world, you know, as a small investor, uh, speaking engagements, writing, whatever it may be, designing, and it's tough to keep up. Right? Um, forget about account. You know, with the world of accounting, it, it's just tremendously detailed. Uh, to your point. Now, what would be one thing you'd want to say to to people right now about cryptocurrency, kind of from, from a 40,000 foot view. Um, one thing, if you were to tell them one thing about it, accounting. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I get this question from time to time and I always answer the exact same way. And I, uh, it's, it's that essentially with crypto, um, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the personalities, the projects, the, the launches, all of that kind of stuff. You know, crypto is is like everything in this entire universe that that humans build, which is it is a it's a tool, right? 
And so like, it's not, it's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. Like crypto is, is at the end of the day, a tool. And, mm -hmm. and like, you know, those things get munged a little bit. Like, you know, the religious aspect comes from decentralization. Like if you really believe the government shouldn't be allowed to stop you from spending money, then that you start to sneak a little bit more towards a political viewpoint or a religious viewpoint about, about crypto. But at the end of the day, like, it's a solution to a problem. Like if the government, if the government can stop you spending money, crypto is a solution to that problem where you can spend it with, without government uh, oversight. So it's, it's the, my advice is always for people in crypto and for people looking to get into crypto is not to focus on the projects and not to focus on the personalities, but to step back and focus on the problems that crypto is solving and, yeah. and what it is that you are, that you are interested in about that. So, you know, good examples of problems are, you know, having to pay contractors in India, you know, right now sending money to India through a wire can be as much as 10 to 15% fees that get tacked on top of that. And you can do that on Polygon for, you know, three pennies and it gets transmitted instantly. It's like there are, there are really, really great problems that, that crypto is solving. But there's also a lot of things. It's just like someone wanted to launch a new a new L2 because they can make a bunch of money selling the token. Like that's not a solution. That's a that's a you know that's that's a solution looking for a problem. I guess is always what people say. Like there has to be some problem that that's so pressing that people need that new L2 for the new token or whatever it is. And it's easy to to lose sight of that, but it's it's important not to. So always within crypto, always be thinking about like what problem is is this solution solving? Is this token solving? Is this you know network solving? Like what is it? What is the what's the problem that we're really solving here? Yeah, uh, all great great points, um, and I love the the you know it's important for people to understand that this is not a, a party affiliation, it's not a religion, um, it is a tool, and I hundred percent agree. Um, in fact, you know, when I was a young man, you know, graduating college and you want to, you know, dip your toes into stocks and bonds and whatever you want to get into. And I had some really good advice like, okay, you like that company? Is it the new shiny thing or the flash in the pan? Or is it rooted? Are there real people behind it building real products that serve solving real problems that are out there, solving real problems. Correct. Solving real problems that are out there. That's it's the most important part of everything we do here. It's how to think about startups in general. It's how to think about AI too, right? Like even AI yeah. is a great example. Like so much AI noise right now is, is one of those things that like, is there a real problem that's being solved by this, by this uh, tech? A lot of times there's not. So it's always keep your eye on like, what's the problem that's being solved here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like companies like Chainlink. I, I you know, I was very partial to Chainlink. Yeah, love because they're actually solving real world off chain yep. problems and uh, to on chain problems. Unbelievable. Uh, and people they just ignore it. Uh, yep. Okay, okay. It's like the the next AT and T. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to do. Um. Uh. Let's see. You know, with the U.S. dollar. And other currencies on fire right now. What do you think the world's reserve currency would be in the near future? I mean, I know this is purely speculative and fun, but you know, what are your thoughts? Well, the the biggest. So it's it's an interesting question. Um, I I don't tend to think that that Bitcoin will take a world reserve currency place. I think there'll be places where it does end up as a reserve currency. You know, across South America, maybe across Africa, you can imagine you can imagine some states that actually do pick it up as a as a reserve currency. Uh, the U.S. dollar is not not going anywhere. <clears throat> um, the euro is doing well, but the ECB is too is too opaque 
for really mm-hmm. it's too opaque and too um petty is not the right word but it's it's too uh it it follows too many whims it's it's hard to like really always peg down what the ECB is going to do and obviously the way that they structure the ECB is a is a huge problem that you know that really Europe still is a a collection of countries rather than a a bunch of states which is where you need to be to to really have a powerful uh currency you can't just have it be backed by like the US dollar is backed by tanks and and missiles it's not backed by yeah. you know <laughs> it's not backed by uh uh, uh other things so uh yeah. the yuan is, is gold or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the yuan will never do it until they until they completely actually move it to a floating currency. The yuan will never uh, have a chance of being a reserve currency of the world, and it's they're obviously doing more. There's there's kind of a separation between like reserve currencies from petro versus petro currencies. So the yuan is doing a good job picking up petro currency, petrodollar kind of use cases. But at, at the end of the day, like it's really hard to imagine the U.S. dollar. Uh, not continue for the for the civilized free world. It's really hard that the, to imagine the U.S. dollar not continuing to be kind of the primary driver and the primary reserve currency across the world. And even like you look at like Venezuela, so Venezuela just just had a uh, the presidential election, and they they officially moved their currency over to the the reserve currency, the U.S. dollar. I mean, it's just it's too powerful a force right now. It's too and even from the U.S. perspective, it's too powerful a force for freedom and democracy. I mean, it's the U.S. dollar is a incredibly powerful force for good in this world as well as as ill in some situations. Uh, but I, I, it's hard to imagine any currency besides the the U.S. dollar really taking it. With with the caveat that you'll have some very very unique cases in a few parts of the world where I think Bitcoin could potentially be a really interesting option for them. Uh, it's interesting to see. Yeah, it's it's a tough yeah, one. You, you never know. And I, I completely agree with you, Pat. The dollar is not going away. I think there's just a lot of consolidation that'll happen. People will either pack into it or completely leave, right? Yeah. Um, well, and, yeah, it's an interesting know, question. Like, is when people talk about Bitcoin as a reserve currency, it's it's always a really interesting question. It's like, would Bitcoin, re- if if people decide to to regress from inflationary currencies as reserve currencies, would they really go to Bitcoin, or would we actually just see a return to the gold standard in a lot of places? And that's sort of a really interesting question. Is like, you might see a return to the gold standard in a few places, but there's very obvious reasons why we don't like the gold standard. That has to do with deflationary deflationary pressures and all this other stuff. So, I mean. And and more to the point, like you know, the ability to print money is an incredible tool. Like it's it literally meant that this inc- really bad inflationary cycle, uh, like control over the monetary policy, meant that this pretty bad inflationary cycle has actually managed to be not that bad. I mean, it's not great for individuals, like you know, milk and everything's expensive. But the Fed did a very good job navigating through this inflationary cycle, and that's you can't. It's just like it's sort of like results sort of talk for them speak for themselves a little bit that 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 is mm. not it is not easy to navigate through a, a hard inflationary period uh, and the Fed did a pretty good job of it we're not out of it yet but we're getting pretty close and that's that's that says something about about the Federal Reserve that I'm not sure I'm not sure most Bitcoin people want to say about the Federal Reserve but it is it's it is impressive that they were able to kind of get out with the minimum damage up to this point as and say what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, yeah, they're you know, are they perfect? No, are they perfect? Not at all. Not 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 at all. Um, But but you you know, as you know, U.S. citizens and maybe EU, you you have to root for these people. You you don't want anything really bad to happen because then it'll make everything else bad, right? Yeah, I, I I often say that that like the people who who wish for the dollar to to get destroyed so that Bitcoin's worth more. I'm like, I don't. 
I don't think you've really thought this one all the way through. I think I think there's some real issues with uh, if the U.S. dollar gets destroyed. I like the least of your worries is how much is how much uh, Bitcoin you have floating around. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have that. You know, I would say backup system, <laughs> if you will. Um, but yeah, it's not going anywhere. Um, and you know, people, you you can't root against it to to bump your own gains. The the gains will be there. They will be there as the network grows. It right. The gains, the gains should be coming not from deflation, not from deflation of the U.S. dollar or depreciation of the U.S. dollar, but from but from general use cases going up. The actual the actual utility of the network and the utility of the tokens going up. Like that's what should be driving this stuff. And and it's you know and that that again we talked a lot at the beginning of this about this like the different philosophies that people bring into crypto. And obviously, this is one of those philosophies is that some people do think of crypto as that hedge to the end of the world, you know, uh, scenario, but boy, oh boy, is that not a fun one to think about? Oh boy. Yeah. And it's, it's ongoing. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I think Pat, we could have a whole other separate podcast for that for sure. Or a round totally. table. Any, or anytime you want, man. <laughs> super fun. That would be fun. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, since we're talking about Bitwave and, you know, web three companies and utility, I always like to kind of lift the hood a little bit and get a, a better glimpse at what your team is like, you know, globally or locally engineers. What does it look like? Um, yeah, we're a totally remote team. We have uh, folks in over, let me get the numbers here, uh, 15 states and seven countries. Uh, so 60 people, something like that spread all around the world. You know, it's been great. We we started and we we started in 2018, but we really grew the most during the pandemic. And so it was kind of one of those things that like we were growing through the pandemic. It's like, well, are we really going to like force people to be in one particular place? You know, you have to be in this seven by seven mile radius, but we're not going to see you for two years. Like, no, it's just sort of silly. It creates a lot of, you know, the things that I get down the government about are there's it creates a lot of complexity. Like having employees in a lot of different parts of the world creates a lot of complexity and there's a mm. lot of overhead. And it's one of those things that you, you know, if, if I were a politician, that's something that I would spend a lot of time. I don't know if anyone cares about it besides me. It's like, there's a pretty narrow view of people that, that employ a lot of people in a lot of different States that, that like where it is such a pain in the neck to uh, employ them <laughs> and pay taxes. And like, we have to file, Zero, you know, we had an employee one time in in uh, Washington or, or somewhere, and we don't have them anymore. And so we have to file for the next like five years. We have to file zero dollar tax returns with Washington. Just draw something like that just drives me crazy. Uh, yeah. It's 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 by far like the most difficult part of a remote company. But you save a lot of money on on uh, real estate. You save a lot of money on other things there, and people are just happier. I mean, everyone it it creates a very different kind of corporate culture where you're. You know, I think a lot more people have a lot more, you know, everyone works really hard. It's, you know, everyone's waking up early and staying late, but then at the same time, everyone has a pretty good work-life balance because they're home with their kids or they see them or like whatever. You're not, you're not, you know, there's two hours a day of, of commute time that you get to put towards, you know, maybe half is towards more work and half is towards like hanging out with your kids and stuff. So it's, it's one of those, those things that really is a, I, I really think remote work is here to stay. You know, even for us, we'll eventually have a few more, locations like we'll have like a an office here an office there if people go into that want to uh and we kind of have that today but it is no it's interesting it's interesting time yeah you you create a home base and then you know from important big meetings or decision making uh 
you know, brainstorming sessions, you, you bring the team together. Or, when, at crypto conferences are all over the world. So like we, we see each other most at conferences. <laughs> Like there's right. a, you know, you, we all go to ECC. So we see, you know, the East Coast and European teams at ECC. We see the West Coast teams at, uh, at, uh, I don't know, whatever, like, you know, the, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin Miami, soon to be Bitcoin Nashville. Like that's, you see, you see them at the conferences rather than seeing them, uh, face to face at offices. Yeah, that's true. It's usually like a whole lot of pregame going on. Like who's going to be there? What are we going to talk to, talk about, you know, after or during the, the conference? Um, so yeah, it's a great point, actually. You yeah, know, you, you use those necessary um, platforms to kind of congregate and and do some work, some extra work. That's really cool. Um, and we talk to a lot of different protocols and 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 apps and you know different Web three companies all the time. And you know, a lot of their staff is like, you know, yeah, I'm a you know I develop in Solidity, and you know I, I live across the country, and I only want to be paid in you know, uh, in Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, you know, the rules are changing, like really rules are changing. <laughs> you know, the amount of people I see that are just like, no cash. I don't want euros. I just want crypto. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and by the way, I work during, uh, the, this time slot and that's it. <laughs> you know, people are getting pretty, pretty, yep. uh, but I, I've, I've seen a lot of companies really, you know, to your point, it is hyper challenging. And uh, I've seen a, a bunch of them do a pretty good job of kind of juggling all those kind of multiple locations and, and various uh, employees. So that's yeah. good. It's it's um, a different world. It's a different it's a different kind of way of working. And it's honestly the other way to think about it is it's not for everybody. Like not every employee yeah. you work that works for you should be working remote. Um, some employees really do need to be. In order for them to be productive, they need to be uh, in an office with someone watching over their shoulder. And I don't mean that in a big brother kind of way. I just mean like yeah. some people are not great at self-motivation and some people are. And that's like remote work companies lend themselves like you have to be you have to be very, very self-motivated. And like it's not always easy to tease that out at the beginning, but you see it pretty quickly when someone's uh, working for you. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point, Pat. Um, you know, so if you're a younger person coming out of college, you you kind of bank on the the whole idea of working directly with your manager. Yeah, or, having, having someone really offer you a lot of guidance and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and code, you know, in coding and design or whatever yeah. it may be, that's really important. And yeah. kind of formulating a little bit of that kind of learning culture is really important. But there are there are tools to help help with that, of course. Um, you know, Pat, as we wrap up a little bit here, you know, w one of the the cool things that I get to do is talk to people like you all every day, you know, and they're, you guys are entrepreneurs in a very innovative, you know, rapidly growing industry. If you were to tell anyone who wants to, an entrepreneur who wants to kind of start a DAP or a platform or a, a currency, maybe who knows, um, what kind of advice would you give that person, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, same advice I gave for people looking in the industry in general. It's that it's that all entrepreneurship starts with the problems, not with the solutions. So, if you mm. are an entrepreneur, find a problem space that you know well, find a problem that you are passionate about, and then and then the product you're building is the solution to that problem. It's very easy to like. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone who like you know, saw something cool. Like they're like, Oh, I love blockchain and I'm going to, I want to do blockchain yeah. for graphic design or like whatever. Like that's not yeah. like you, you need to start with, 
there's there has to be some problem that you see in the world or that you see in your life or that you see in your company that needs to be solved. And that's that's where you start. And then you figure out how to solve it and you figure out people pay money to solve it. And like that is that it by itself, that is entrepreneurship. That's capitalism at its very core is is there is there's a need or a problem i'm cold so someone made a jacket like i need a house someone built a house like that's it's it is a problem driven uh discipline if you can't if you if you get wrapped around the technology it's like ai is a great example it's like everyone who every company that i see that says ai plus blockchain i'm immediately very skeptical of not to say there might not be some good ones because that's not that's a that's a technology that's a solution that's not a problem like problems are, you know, discovering fraud automatically. And that's where you could apply AI to the blockchain. But like, or, you know, there, so it's, it's one of those things I like just be, always be very problem driven as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, with the AI thing, cause we get into a little bit of that as well. Um, yeah. Don't ram it in. Don't, don't force fit it, you know? Yep. Um, it, you know, if it solves a problem, like, for example, I could see it really being useful AI for uh, supply chains yep. with, through NFTs, yep. right? Um, you know, that's that would be amazing. And you're solving a little bit of a problem there, but yep. don't it doesn't have to be forced. And it, and it, it let's understand Web three first. Yep. Let's understand the blockchain first. Uh, get through regulations, get through a lot of stuff. Like everyone's, it's just an, we're in our infancy right now. Yep. We're in our, you infancy. know, we're just a spec. Um, so don't force it. Uh, and most people don't even understand AI and the power of it, uh, and actually how to use it properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So oh, that's for sure. And it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be the, the next few years going to be very, very disruptive for technology. I mean, for everybody in the world with AI coming out. I mean, it's, it's really going to be an interesting time period. I, I don't know what's going to happen. As, uh, as an I, engineer, I don't know what's going to happen. As, <laughs> as, as an entrepreneur, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, a, it's going to be a really interesting, you know, five, five years here. See what happens. Well, y y yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, platforms like yours, which is predicated a hundred percent on code basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, now we have AI systems literally every day coming out that is saying, oh, we'll, we'll write your JavaScript. It'll write your JavaScript pr perfectly, or it'll do this perfectly. And it's not perfect. Yeah, it's not you know? perfect. And it's not, it, it, it's just like, you know, uh, it, it's just literally starting out. How could be, how could it be perfect? Um, or even close to being perfect. But yep. I agree. I think there's going to be, and, you know, most people use the term disruptive for industries, right? But I think there's disruption can be in the form of kind of confusion. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. There is a lot of confusion, but, and that's why that these podcasts exist. The, that's why these, this dialogue happens is to eliminate some of the confusion and kind of bring you down back down to ground. A that's, bit. The, that's the goal. That's what we're all here for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's all, you know, it's, it's great to learn about Bitwave, but it's also amazing to have someone like yourself and your background kind of lay out some of the fundamentals for people. Yeah. You know, so it's great. Now, Pat, do you guys have any conferences coming up, events you want to kind of give a shout out to? Um, well, you can always always find Bitwave, uh, www.bitwave.io. We're on Twitter at Bitwave underscore platform. Uh, we're going to be in, we do have a bunch of events coming up, but they're all, they're all listed on our Twitter page. It's the best place to see us. Uh, we'll have folks at the Sage, Sage Conference in February, the, uh, 
uh, some of the other Bitcoin conferences. I should, I mean, I don't, caught me off guard with that question. I didn't even look, but yeah, uh, <laughs> at Bitwave underscore platform on Twitter, and you can uh, find us there. Awesome. Yeah, you can always send that info, and I'll I'll have it in the uh, links below if you like. Amazing. Yep. Um, we always like to share our guests and what they're doing. And, you know, you guys build a community. We didn't even get into the whole community aspect of it, <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of companies like yours are predicated on, uh, you know, not just engineers in their community, but people who are tracking and learning and contributing to it in some way, f- shape or form. So community is super important. Very These important. conferences yep. to your point, <clears throat> to your point earlier, the conferences are great congregation places it to with your team or outside of your team. And um, yeah, I would encourage our entire audience to, Really dig in, look into Bitwave uh, f- for your organization, whether you're medium, small, or large. Generally, you know, it's the bigger boys that are using this right now, but it's we going work, to We work with everyone from everyone. small small startups through Fortune 500 companies. So everyone in between is, uh, is welcome. Would love to talk to you. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome, Pat. Thank you so much. I look forward to, you know, potential future... Uh, Bitwave and outside of Bitwave wave discussions. I, I love it. We'll do. We'll do this again for sure. Hit me up any any time. Would love to be on. This has been a this has been a, a delight. Yes, thank you, thank you so much, Pat. All right. <laughs>